0: It really occurred to me that if you want to see, if we want to express God's outrageous love, you've got to be willing to do outrageous things. Because ordinary things only express ordinary love. You've got to be willing to do the outrageous. The same thing is true with regard to faith. If you want to see God work in outrageous ways, you have to have an outrageous faith. Do you agree with me? To have an outrageous faith. A faith that believes that God can do the impossible. And we're seeing God do some things like that. And our job is to glorify God for it. Because the ultimate reason for God doing any of this, as we're going to talk about this morning, is to receive glory. This morning I want to take just a couple of minutes and and have a person that God's done some outrageously wonderful things in in their life. I want them to come forward and uh, and share with you uh, what God's done. So Harry, would you come up here? The Lord's done some healing here that is among the uh, most outrageous healing I've ever seen happen. So Harry... Preach it, brother.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm live. How's that? Oh, too close. Thanks, Greg. I'm really excited to share um, about some things that the Lord has done in my life in terms of uh, physical healing. Um, Back last spring, I had an opportunity to go to a um, healing seminar here at the church, and I went more as a student trying to gain some understanding on how the Lord works. In my mind, I thought, well, there must be a prescribed procedure to follow, you know, to bring about healing. Well, that's, that's not true. Um, God works instantaneously. God works over a period of, uh, it's, it's a process in some people. Um, but I thought I'd put the God to the test. After the um, healing seminar, I asked if um, anyone there would like to come over and pray for me, um, specifically for my back, because... Um, I knew I had to go to the doctor. I was in a lot of pain, wasn't sleeping very well. And so, uh, some brothers and sisters came around me, laid hands on me, and to make a long story short, the Lord healed my back. Hallelujah. Um, More recently, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More recently, um, found out on the 28th of June that my uh, right knee... Was injured to the point where it needed surgery. Apparently, some cartilage was torn, and I had gone through it about a month earlier with my left knee, and uh, so um, I started thinking about the, the process of surgery and recovery, and that's all I had in my mind until finally the Holy the Holy Spirit broke through and said, "Hey, what about healing? You know, think about that," and so. Um, I had asked a uh, group of uh, staff and overseers to pray for me a week ago Thursday. And um, after the, the Lord had uh, worked through them with his power, I sensed an immediate release of pain. Um, and on the way home from the meeting, as I was driving, I felt this warmth in my knees thinking that my heater was on I felt down because I usually put it on beef My pant legs were warm. I mean, my pant legs were cold, but my knees were burning. And immediately I threw my arms and I said, thank you, Lord! I just knew something was going on and I was driving down the freeway with both hands up in the air. Ninety-four, here's this car going along, you know. The next morning I woke up, I had some, I had some stiffness, but no pain. And the day before, I was using railings to go up and down the stairs at work on Friday morning I was running up and down the stairs rejoicing and chuckling and praising the Lord and so I want to give him all the praise and all the glory for what He has done in my life.
0: Praise the Lord. He was actually scheduled for surgery, cartilage surgery, right? And yeah, it's supposed to be tomorrow. No need. Hey! Let's believe God. Let's just keep on believing God and do the outrageous. In fact, this morning, uh, maybe you're here this morning and you've got a physical ailment. Uh, at the end of the service, um, why not come forward? There'll be some people here who are willing to, to believe with you and pray for healing. That's just uh, the Bible says is by his stripes for a heal. Just take God uh, at his word. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study on the book of Ephesians. I want to thank Barry for filling in for me last week. Um, I really appreciate it. Speaking about healing, I wish you'd all continue to pray for my voice. I've got some kind of virus in there or something, I, I'm going to find out this week. Um, it's still a little on the weak side, a little on the raspy side, I think it makes you sound more masculine, but uh, it's probably be better. <laughs> I sound like Luigi, you know what I'm talking. If I don't get it taken care of, that's how I'm going to be like one of these. Louis Armstrong. I
1: see these.
0: <laughs> but I'd rather not get there. So, so be pray, praying for my voice. But uh, I, I'm just uh, afraid to go to the doctor and have him say, well, I think you should speak quietly for the next five weeks. That's like torture. It's like you got to get into it. We're continuing our study on the book of Ephesians. And we've uh, zoomed our way up to verses 4 through 6. And I want to pick up there. Um, talking this morning on, on uh, the, the concept found in Ephesians 1.6, where Paul says that, all things are done to the praise of God's glorious grace. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Some of you I know, and you've told me you're committing this to memory, uh, memorizing the book of Ephesians as we go through it. We're certainly going slow enough so we have ample time to do that, I encourage you to hide the word of God in your heart if, if you can. Uh, the, the, the verse is also, I believe, printed in the bulletins. Ephesians 1, chapters 4, or verses 4 through 6. Paul says this for God for he chose us in him in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless before uh, blameless in his sight in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will with God's pleasure and it's God's will And then he says this. This is the verse we're going to preach on this morning. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the spirit that has been here this morning, for the worship that has occurred here this morning, for the life that you're breathing into us, Lord, through the worship, and now, Lord, through your word. God, I pray that this message from your word would confront us and cause just a Capernaum revolution in our minds, Lord, that we would be aware, God, that our calling is to worship and to praise you and to do all things for your glory. Lord, we need your spirit to make the Word alive. Otherwise, it's just dead words. It's just dead words, Lord. So, Lord, breathe into this. As I'm speaking, be breathing into this, Lord. As I'm speaking, Lord, let your let your holy angels and your holy spirit be doing warfare for us to break, Lord God, whatever strongholds that might be there in our minds to cause us to misunderstand or even worse, to not care. God, you make it real for us, Lord. And for those who are here this morning, God, I pray that those who don't know you, I pray, Lord, that this message would be a way by which they surrender to you. Surrendering. What we have in verses 4 through 6 is really uh, a beautiful, profound, and very succinct statement about what God's purpose in creating the world in the first place is all about. It really has to do with the meaning of life. It's that basic. Several things that we see there. Verse 4 tells us that before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Christ. It tells us the when of God's plan for the world and the who of God's plan in the world. Before the world was created, God made out his plan. He didn't take advice from anybody. He, did, he didn't come about as a reaction or as an afterthought or a makeshift plan B. From the foundation of the world, God planned on saving the world and creating for himself a church saved by grace. So the plan was there from the foundation of the world. Who did it involve? It involved us. We were chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. The we is all believers. The we is everyone who will let the Holy Spirit put them in Christ. We saw two weeks ago that to say that God chose us in Christ does not mean that he chose us as opposed to other people. What God chose is that anyone who would put themselves in Christ would be holy and blameless in his sight, and he predestined to be adopted as children. The same way that when we go to the picnic this afternoon, it's predestined that we're going to eat chicken. But it's not predestined that you're going to eat chicken unless you go to the picnic. But it's your choice to go to the picnic or not. You had to be here two weeks ago, even though I was talking about Anyways, go to the picnic. OK, free chicken. Oh, and, and just, uh, I, I, De, 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 Deb Carr will kill me if I, I forgot about this. Uh, buy a t-shirt, OK? <laughs> if you want to buy a t-shirt, buy a t-shirt. You get, you get a discount on the chicken if you buy a t-shirt there. But for the rest of you, it's free. OK, so God. The, This is why I didn't go into sales. God chose us in Christ from the foundation of the world. That's the who, and that's the when. What was the purpose? The verse says, so that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. This isn't about our performance. It's about our position. He makes us holy and blameless in his sight by putting us in the one who is all holy and blameless, Jesus Christ. What is his motive? His motive is love. The verse says, in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons. God's motive in saving us and God's motive in creating the world is love. God always is motivated by love. God is love. And what is the result of this great plan of salvation that God concocted before the world began? The result is that we are adopted as children of God, as sons of God. No mere outside acquaintances, employees, servants, what have you. We are children of God, and that's why Paul says that when we believe, he sends forth, God sends forth, his spirit into our life, the spirit that cries, Abba, Father. The word Abba in Greek, or in in Aramaic actually, is is, is the word that means daddy or papa, dear one. God gives us, puts us in the position, because we're in Christ, we're as close to God as we could ever get, so we can call him daddy. There is that kind of intimacy that God has planned for us, that kind of relationship, sitting on the knees of our daddy, our papa, that kind of closeness. That's God's great plan of salvation. Verses 4 through 6 tell us that. But the whole thing climaxes in verse 6. When Paul gives us, he's given us the when, the who, the motive, uh, the purpose and the result. Here he gives us the goal of the whole thing. What is the whole thing directed towards? And the, and the, the, the answer is, Paul says, that we might be to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12 says the same thing. Verses 11 and 12 says that we were predestinated in Christ by him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we might be, that we might exist to the praise of his glorious grace. The ultimate goal of the whole thing, the motive behind all other motives, the agenda that is more fundamental than any other agenda is for God to receive praise, for God to be glorified. God, what we see here is that God is shooting. This is what he's aiming at in creating the church. He wants mirrors that reflect his glory. He wants mirrors in which he can behold his own sovereign grace, his own sovereign beauty. What he's making out of me and what he's making out of you, what he's making out of every person who believes, is a trophy of his grace that he can showcase throughout all eternity and show what he has done. God wants to glorify himself in the creation of the world. He wants to have mirrors that reflect his splendor, his love, his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. That's why anything that exists, exists. Including you and including me. That's what God's aiming at. Now immediately some people out there are thinking. Thinking to yourself, you maybe wouldn't say it out loud, but you're thinking. Isn't God sort of egotistical in all of this? Doesn't God sound a little bit self-absorbed, narcissistic, self-centered? I explained this to a person who wasn't a Christian several weeks ago, and that's the response. Yeah, man, God God sounds like he's kind of big on himself, isn't he? And in some ways it does. I mean, if you read it, you know, all this talk about the Bible, I am a jealous God. You shall have no gods before me. He zaps people who get involved in idolatry and... He says, I don't want any, anything, any motive, any agenda to come before me. You'll have no gods before me. I want all of your praise. I want all of your glory. The Lord your God is a jealous God. You think, whoa. Kind of egotistical. Certainly if a human being did this, we think, you know, this guy's got a major problem. We call him a megalomaniac. Somebody who just thinks that they're the center of, uh, uh, of the world. Did, did Some of you are old enough to remember this. Uh, Remember, there there uh, the Twilight Zone. Uh, there was a show called The Twilight Zone. Rod Serling would be out there with that cigarette, Rod Serling. you went through the Twilight Zone. And uh, in one of the Twilight Zone episodes, I always watched it as a kid. There was this, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I think we'll make the point. Uh, there was a, a story about two astronauts who landed on this planet. Uh, actually, their, 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 their rocket crashed. And they were there, and they called for a rescue, and the rescue was on its way. But while they were waiting, one of the astronauts, did some of you remember this this, uh, thing? Some of you remember this, yeah. Uh, One of the astronauts found this little civilization of micro-people. All these little people, you know, walking around. And he found out that if he squashed a couple of them and screamed a little bit, that they would do anything he wanted. He loved it. He loved it. They built a giant statue for him and all this kind of stuff. He became their god. And when it came time to leave, he didn't want to leave. He said, I'm their God. Watch this. He stamps his feet and says, obey me. And all of a sudden, you hear all the little people going, I'm their God. I'm not going to leave here. They need me, and I want them. Serve me. And they bring them food. And all. They're little t- like ants, you know. Well, finally, the other guy left. And and uh, this guy stayed back. And as fate would have it, not too long afterwards, a bunch of giants showed up. And he was the little guy, and they accidentally squished him. So... Justice was served, and you know what? You were happy to see justice served, because this guy deserved it. He was a first-class jerk. What are you doing that to these poor little ant people for? Come on, leave them alone. I mean, he would squish them sometime for no good reason, and that's not fair at all. You think, what a jerk. And anyone who would do that, who would just kind of be big on themselves, who's just you know, a person who just looks in the mirror all the time and just delights in their new haircut. And uh, uh, you, think, <laughs> you think, oh, come on, this, is, this guy's a little bit self-absorbed. And... It can look like God appears that way. Sometimes Christians talk like that's how God is. There are some believers who have as their sort of most fundamental feeling about God is, is fear. that they see the beauty of God and the glory of God and the grace of God. They just don't want to tick God off. They're like the little ant people. And you know, oh God, don't step on me. You know, he wants praise, I'll praise him. You know, praise, praise, praise. Hallelujah, whatever you want. Sacrifice, chicken, anything. Whatever the most important thing is that you don't tick God off. You don't want to tick the deity off. It's Like a show I saw one time where the people, it's a sarcastic show, but they're in a church, and they just say, oh, God, you are so big. So very, 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 very big. And they start singing this song, uh, you know, don't boil us, don't squish us, don't maim us, don't torture us. You know and that, it's because he's the boss. He's kind of this Arnold Schwarzenegger god up there with his Uzi, and if you get a man, he's going to blast you. And so you just, you, you live in fear. And no wonder sometimes people get this impression, like what kind of god is this, ruling over this universe, threatening to squash people if they don't do it just his way. And then you have people who go the other extreme, kind of the liberal Christian thing. They, they don't like that view of god, this austere Arnold Schwarzenegger view of god. They don't want that sort of thing, so they go to the opposite extreme. And they create a god out of their own, of their own imagination, Where uh, you know it's kind of if that was the Arnold Schwarzenegger guy, this is the sort of uh, Mister Rogers sort of guy. You know, he's he's a nice guy. He's he just wants to be your neighbor. You know, really. (laughs) Please, won't you be, please, be my neighbor? You know, a friendly God, Gordon Kaufman at Harvard University. I mean, you, there's a lot of this theological stuff coming out. He wrote a book called "The Theological Imagination," really appropriate entitled because his view of God is strictly a work of his imagination. But he says that God is the humanizing spirit. Ah, wherever there's movements of of thought, my words stammer at the thought of it. Uh, that that are are moving towards people, for people to actualize themselves, and to fulfill their own potentials, and realize their internal capabilities, wherever you find that, there is God, yes, and it's kind of God is up with humanity, he he just was there to serve us, we don't serve him, but he serves us, he's for us, he's like, yay for you, he's their cosmic cheerleader in heaven, and I can see what they're reacting against, but On the other hand, the Bible says that we are created for the glory of God. The Bible says that everything is created for the glory of God. The Bible says that ultimately our salvation is even for the glory of God. Is that egotistical? For God to take delight in looking at himself and in displaying his attributes and for God to make himself the object of creation. Consider something. If a human being were to do that, it would be prideful, it would be sinful. In fact, that is the essence of sin. Because for a human being... To just be absorbed in themselves, to think that they are the most beautiful thing in the world, the most wise thing in the world, the most powerful thing in the world, it's wrong, you're not. So you're, you're, you're screwed up in thinking that you are or to act like you are. And therefore it's wrong for you to try to get other people to praise you and to worship you and always, trying to get people to notice you and whatever. because you don't deserve it. They well, deserve a little bit. They don't deserve their ultimate allegiance and worship and honor. And for one thing You're not the highest object of beauty and wisdom and creation in the world. Secondly, it's damaging for people to treat you that way. The only way you can get glory from other people is by dehumanizing them. For them to do something to you which is totally inappropriate, and that's to put you on a pedestal and to kind of worship you, you know, Wayne's world. We're not worthy, we're not worthy to Alice Cooper or whatever, you had to be there. It's totally inappropriate and it's destructive. Because we are, it's not true to reality. Whatever we have, we have as a gift from God, right? We have by the grace of God. So how can I use whatever gifts I have to try to get you to worship me? I got them on loan. They don't belong to me in the first place. It's totally inappropriate for a human to make themselves the center of the universe and the center of other people's attention. But it's not for God. It is not for God. Consider this. This is what believers can see because they've experienced it and non-believers don't see, which is why non-believers have such trouble with worship. It sounds dehumanizing to them. God is not simply a big person, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, a cosmic man, or something like that. God is infinite being. God is infinite love. God defines what love is. His being sets the standard. He is Not only the highest instance of love, but he is the sole instance of love. And every other instance of love comes on loan from him. And God defines what it is to be beautiful. He is beauty. Every other beauty has its beauty on loan from God. And God is wisdom. He defines what wisdom is. God is glory. God is greatness. God is joy. And God is peace. There is nothing higher. There's nothing greater. And God doesn't have it on loan from anybody. He has it throughout eternity because he's God. For God to appreciate himself, his beauty, to recognize his beauty, is just to be accurate. For him to delight in, in, in his beauty, and delight in his love, and delight in his joy, and delight in his peace, and delight in his power, is simply to be accurate, because he's the highest example of that. And for God, and follow this now, for God to make himself the object of creation, is for God to give to the creation the highest goal it could possibly have. It's simply to say that the, the goal of creation is to reflect love. The goal of creation is to reflect joy. The goal of creation is to reflect peace. The goal of creation is to reflect God's power. In other words, the goal of creation is to reflect God's glory. God, in giving himself as a goal of creation, and in creating the world to mirror his glory, is giving the created order the highest goal he could ever give it. If God were to make some other goal, the object of of human endeavors, like how comfortable can we be and uh, our personal self-actualization and what have you, if God were to aim at that, he'd be shooting way lower than he's in fact shooting. He'd be doing us a disservice, if you can think about it that way, because there's something greater than all those ends, namely God himself. So in one sense, God is egotistical, But it's for our benefit that he's egotistical and he's being totally accurate in being egotistical. So God creates the world with this ultimate thing in mind. He wants to glorify himself. The sun wants mirrors to reflect the radiance of the sun or moons to reflect the radiance of the light. Are you following this? So God creates the world... For his glory. And the Bible says throughout the whole Bible, you you get this, God creates the world so that everything that exists, however great or however small it is, reflects the glory of God. He creates the, the the Bible says that the, the, the stars of the heaven manifest his glory. The mountains declare his glory. The trees we sang this morning clap their hands. The rocks cry out the glory of God. He shows off his wisdom. He shows off his love. He shows off his power. He shows off his incredible creativity just in creating the world. We don't need all those stars. We don't need all these bugs. We don't need all these different kinds of flowers. We don't need all the colors on a peacock. Why are they there? God's showing off. He delights in displaying himself. It's just his artistic flair. Why are they there? Because they can be there. There, that's enough said. He's showing off. But even all of that whole creation is simply there as the backdrop for something else. And this is what we've got to get. That is simply the canvas upon which God wants to paint his most magnificent work, where God wants to show forth his most magnificent attribute. The most beautiful thing, the most splendid thing, the most profound thing, the most unthinkable, incredible thing that God wants to do in creation is what he does in salvation when he shows off his grace. God loves to display himself and the highest thing he wants to display in this created order what occurred to his mind before the foundation of the world is that he wants to show off his grace his grace in saving people who don't deserve it far worse than that who want nothing in and of themselves more than to be away from it his grace in saving those kind of people in its own way the outrageousness of his plan reflects in its own way the intensity of his own being the passion of God's own being that the inner triune love of his own being is displayed out there in little mirrors when there are people who don't deserve to be saved that God saves anyways. He displays his grace. And the most fundamental reason why God does anything is to show forth his grace. We're the beneficiaries of the whole thing, but the ultimate motive is God for God to reflect himself in it. Why did God send Jesus Christ into the world? Why did God become a man? We're the beneficiaries of that to be sure, but ultimately, though it costs God a lot of pain, it pleased God to do it. It pleased God to do it because it's a way He shows off His grace. Look at this feature of me. Look at that feature of me. Look at the outrageous thing I'm going to do now. It shows forth the beauty of God's outrageous grace. And when God offers salvation to the entire world, regardless of how, of how righteous or unrighteous you are, regardless of what nationality you are, regardless of what gender you are, regardless of how smart or not smart you are, when God offers salvation to all of humanity, it shows forth his grace. We're the beneficiaries of it, but it shows forth his grace. It's, it, it shows forth God's incredible love and when God pursues me even though I run away from him, when God pursues me even though I make my heart calloused, when God offers salvation but I run the other way and God keeps on doing something that you wouldn't think God would ever do, and that's to chase me and to woo me and to love me, he's showing off. He gets kicks out of this. He loves to do this sort of thing. He's showing off his artistic grace and chasing a Greg Boyd who he ought to just leave alone. Go. You want to go to hell? Go to hell. No, he won't do it. He shows off his grace. I'm the beneficiary of it, but it's also for his sake. He loves to do this kind of thing. And when finally His Holy Spirit works in my heart, follow this. Okay, when the Holy Spirit works in my heart and produces faith, it shows off the grace of God. You know, we sometimes think that our faith is our doing. Look what I did. I was smart enough to believe, at least. <laughs> you know, I, I was at least had enough. I had this much goodness. I can take a little credit. Good for me. I believe. Uh-uh. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. That is, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And even that isn't of ourselves, it is a gift of God, so that none may boast. There can't be no boasting. Even your faith is a gift of God. It's to the grace of God. God has systematically designed this whole ingenious plan so that it becomes clear that all the glory goes to God and none of the glory goes to anyone else and that's just the way it should be because that's the most beautiful, highest aim God could have ever had. And so when God produces faith in me and then looks at that faith and says, I'm going to count that as righteousness. I'm going to count you as being spotless. I'm going to count you as being pure. I'm going to count you as being redeemed. I'm going to blot out all your sins. As far as the east is from the west, I'm going to throw your sins from you. When God does all of that, I'm the incredibly joyful beneficiary, but God's being delighted because he's showing off his grace. The gulf between what I, what I deserve and what I get is the frame of the mirror that God displays himself with. Are you following that? And then he sits, sits, sits me in, in heavenly places. You see, he calls me to the banquet table, sits me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, the verse says. And then he pours on me and he pours on you, all who believe. He pours on every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He puts us in Christ Jesus. He gives us the nature of his own son. He puts his own spirit in us. Why? We're the beneficiaries of that, but ultimately God is just showing off. He's delighting in looking at himself. He is enjoying himself, doing the outrageous thing that he's doing in saving us. And then he gives us his own nature. Second Peter 1, 4, we're made partakers of his own nature. He puts his spirit within us. He puts his joy in us. He puts a Christ-like character in us at least to our transforming. Why? We're the beneficiaries, but ultimately it's because God enjoys doing it. And he's God. He can do whatever he wants. That's why in in Ephesians 1, four times it says this. We are loved. We are predestined. We are pursued. We are given the inheritance in Christ Jesus. Why? For the good pleasure of his will. (laughs) Because he wants it. That's why. He likes to see himself, okay? You're the beneficiary. You get to be the mirror, and the mirror is worn by the sun that it reflects. And even when God convicts me of sin and says, Greg, I want you to reflect in your experience more of my holiness, sanctification, that is all God's grace. That's not a good Greg Boyd thing. No way. That's a a God grace kind of thing. He's changing my character. It's all to the glory of God. Ultimately, the whole plan that that God's given to us in verses 4 through 6 is is designed, it's schematized, it's, it's the agenda that God hit on from the foundation of the world It's designed for the purpose of showing that everything that we ever are and ever shall be is the result of God's grace so that whatever we are before God, it's to God's glory. And he deserves the praise for it and he deserves the worship for it. He deserves the adoration for it. And we are simply 100% from beginning to end recipients and beneficiaries of the whole thing. Praise God. Recipients of God's grace. If you understand the purpose of the plan, that God wants to show off his grace, two things are impossible for you to think if you understand this. The first is, it's impossible to think of yourself in a self-righteous way if you understand the plan. It's beyond me. How believers who who know about this plan, who are participants in a plan whose main design is to undermine our own righteousness and exalt God, how we could ever become self-righteous, but we do it. If you understand what the plan's about, there's simply no hook. There's no place, there's no platform for you to stand on and take credit. Where is it? Did you think about it? Did you think about the plan? No, no, that was before the foundation of the world. Did you contribute to it in any way? Uh, Did you uh, maybe meet some kind of prerequisite, some kind of qualification maybe? Maybe uh, some deed that you did warranted it? No. It is from beginning to end, from eternity past to eternity future, a result of God's doing, God's grace. Every ounce of righteousness you have and ever shall have, every ounce of holiness you have and ever shall have, whatever good thoughts you think, whatever attitudes, godly attitudes you have, whatever godly life that you have, the only reason you've got it is because God was gracious towards you. God is forming you for his own sake. God's delighting and transforming your life, but it's because of God that you're there. The difference between you and a prostitute on Hennepin Avenue this morning is God's grace. So where is there any room, any room, any room at all for someone to be judgmental or self-righteous or pompous or stuffy or religiously uptight about things, thinking that somehow you've got something that in yourself that no one else has? Yes, religious people all walk like that, don't they? <laughs> I got a stone in my shoe. I don't know. It is utterly impossible. God has concluded. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty two, God's concluded all to be under sin. Why? so he might have mercy upon all. If I don't go to hell, and I'm not going there, but if I don't go to hell, it's because of everything God did in spite of everything I did, to the praise of God's glorious grace, and all I can do is say thank you, I can just mirror back, praise, God, it's you that did it, it's you that did it, and that's why he did it, so I do this. Self-righteousness is impossible, but number two, self-condemnation is impossible. Self-condemnation is, if you understand the plan, See, and self-righteousness can look kind of religious, but so can self-condemnation. I mean, there's a brand of spirituality that kind of delights in going around feeling miserable, you know, and, and uh, how guilty I am, woe that I am. I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a miserable worm, I'm a centipede, I'm a maggot, I'm snail's breath, I'm, you know, and, 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 and to kind of get into this, uh, you know, it's spiritual to feel guilty. It's spiritual to be miserable. You ought to always be walking around with this ton on your back. Ah! And then you can even get to the point where you begin to doubt the whole thing. Maybe, just maybe, maybe maybe I have worn out the grace of God. Maybe I've used up. Someone talked to me several weeks ago, called me, in a state of panic. They thought they had, this is the phrase they used, they'd used up the blood. And the idea there is that, you know, there's sort of a finite, finite amount of forgiveness in God, a finite amount of blood that was shed by Jesus, and you only get so many drops. And once you've spent those, buddy, you're gone, like zip like, out of here. I've used up the blood. God's getting sick of me. My sins are too big. My sins are too many. My sins are too great. My past is too jaded. My mind is too wounded. My heart is too hard. Surely God's had enough of me. I'm out of here. How could God possibly love me? Hear this. If you understand the plan, that thought cannot occur. Isaiah. Let me read you a verse. Isaiah. Chapter 43. First of all, verse 20. I've got to wrap this up in seven minutes. Verse twenty. No, I don't. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! you're stuck. No, I, I'm only kidding. I'll wrap it up in eight minutes. Verse twenty. First of all, the Lord says, "This people I have formed for my own sake, that they may sing forth my praise. That they may bring forth my praise." It's talking about Israel. This people, I, God Jehovah, I have formed for my own sake. They're the beneficiaries, but it's for my own sake. Um. Uh, And and, uh, uh, why did he do that? Because he wants a mirror. He wants them to praise him. But now listen to this. This is an incredible verse, folks. If you want to memorize something, memorize this verse. I, the Lord says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Praise God. For my own sake. And remembers your sins no more for my own sake if you're here this morning and you are one of these people that kind of walks around with a heavy burden of guilt and condemnation on your back yeah, God wants to clean up your life, you know, cooperate with God on that, but listen to this this salvation stuff this being cleansed by the blood stuff this being redeemed stuff this being a part of this plan in one sense, it's got nothing to do with you this is a God thing God's simply saying, you know what this is what turns me on, okay? I like to see myself, and I can save people like you. In fact, I like to save people like you. It kind of shows me off when I save people like you. Will you get your mind off of yourself and start looking on God and what God's doing and God's plan. It's for my own sake that I forgive you. It's for my own sake that I blot out your sins. This is what God likes to do. He's got, if you want to think of it this way, God has. Now He loves us. He wants to save us. We're not pawns here. He loves us. But the ultimate goal is that he's got a beautiful ulterior motive in the whole thing. And the ulterior motive is that we might be polished mirrors that reflect his outrageous, unthinkable grace. And the gulf between what we are and what we deserve and what God has made us, that gulf is the frame of the mirror that God wants to behold himself in. So the point of it is this. Don't become self-absorbed in your condemnation. That's a device of the enemy, to get you looking at yourself. You are not the purpose. You are not the center. God is the purpose. And if it pleases God, if it, if it gives jolly to God, if it brings delight to God, to say I forgive you and to say you are pure to people like you and me, let God do it. Just let God enjoy you. Enjoy God enjoying you. If that's what God likes to do, let him do it. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can lay any charge to God's elect? It is God who justifies he delights in beholding his outrageous grace in people like you and in people like me. How secure is salvation? It's rooted, it's rooted in the very nature of God's self-enjoyment. It's rooted in the nature of God. The truth of the matter is that God delights in seeing himself save people like you and save people like me. God delights and showing forth his love towards those who are unlovable. God enjoys pursuing those who run away. God enjoys embracing those who push away. God enjoys saving people like such as us, who constitute the mirror that he will look at throughout eternity that will reflect his glorious, glorious grace. Praise the Lord. Let God enjoy enjoying you. The only, the only thing in the world that does not glorify God the way God created it to do is a heart that will not go along with that plan a heart that plants its feet and says, I'm Lord of my own life. I submit to nobody. I'm subject to nobody. I will rule my own life, call my own shots, give my own life, give my own meaning, produce my own righteousness. For such a rebel, there's no place in the kingdom because they don't go along with the mere plan that God has. They're the only things in the universe that don't bring glory to God, but you know what? God wins even with them because the Bible says that even the wrath of man shall praise him. Psalm 77. Even their rebellion will, in the end, praise God. How? Well, there's another attribute that God's going to show forth in the end, and that is his justice. And that's a good attribute of God, and he wants to show it forth. And in the end, everything that doesn't reflect God's beauty and God's grace and God's love and God's joy and God's life, anything that, any mirror that doesn't reflect that, will simply reflect a different attribute of God, and that is his wrath. And that's a good thing to be manifested but it's your choice to mirror God in that way if that's how you choose. The alternative is to accept the plan that God has and let him save you. When we understand the purpose of life, what the whole thing is about, it can't help but, 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 but form a Capernaum revolution in our life. Copernicus was the guy, scientist 16th century, who proved that the sun was the center of the solar system and the earth simply revolves around the sun. Everyone else thought up to that point that the sun revolved around the earth. He showed that the whole thing was topsy-turvy. We are not the center. The sun is the center. When we understand what the purpose of creation is and what we're called to do, it has to create in us a Capernaum revolution. Our fallen self always wants to make itself the center of the world. This is the essence of sin. We in our pride want to make ourselves God. We don't say this, but we act like it was the case. This is the nature of fallen humanity. We think life owes us something. We act as though life owed us something. We act as though we had something coming to us. We act as though we were the center. We live life with the purpose and the motivation of trying to make ourselves comfortable, of trying to make ourselves wealthy, of trying to bring glory to ourselves. Our life revolves around ourselves, and that's what produces most of the miserable things that go on in our life. Because it's never fulfilling. We weren't created to serve ourselves. We were created to serve God. It's not fulfilling when we try to serve ourselves. Whatever we get in the end we know will end and so that creates despair. But most of all it creates a tremendous struggle in our life when we try to be the center. Because we're not the center. So we're not living reality. We are like the earth trying to force the sun to revolve around it with its own puny little gravity. Try to follow me on this. I'm abbreviating stuff here and it's Getting centered kind of like jaded poetry. But we're trying to be the earth. We're having the sun revolve around us. We want to carry out our own plans, but when the plans don't grow away, we get frustrated. We want to do our own thing, but when that thing doesn't happen, we get very frustrated. We want ourselves to be the center, and when things don't line up the way we think they should, we get mad, we get frustrated, our lives become miserable. But to understand, to understand that your purpose, your being is there ultimately for one thing and one thing only, And that is the glory of God frees you from that struggle. It frees you from that struggle. There's a tremendous release that comes when you understand. You live life, we live life most fully when we don't live it as being the center. No life can be more passionate than the life that is committed to living in the glory of God. The best life we can have is reflecting the life of God. And the most joy we can have is reflecting the joy of God. And the most peace we can have is reflecting the peace of God. When our goal in life, when the thing that we aim at, when what motivates us is simply to glorify God, we live life more passionately and more loving and more fully than we ever could if we try to live it for ourselves. In the same way that a mirror has a lot more light in it when it reflects the sun than when it tries to produce its own light. We were made to be satellites around the sun. We were made to be mirrors of God's glory. And life is full and complete when we do just that. We're far better husbands when we're husbands not just for our wife, but for the glory of God. And we're far better wives when we're wives not just for our husband, but for the glory of God. And we're far better workers at our our works, at our jobs, when we, are, when we work for the glory of God, when we live with that in our mind that we want to show forth His praise and radiate Him, we're far better at our jobs than, than if we're just working for our em- employers. We're far better at every area of life when we live not as the center, but as one who points to the one who is the center. And how many struggles we are released from, how many things we are freed from, how many anxieties we let go when we let God be the center and not us when our job is just to reflect his glory. Anxiety, don't make yourself the center of the world by focusing on your anxiety. Begin to speak verbally the praise of God, the one who is peace itself. Depression, don't become absorbed in your depression, focusing on it as though you were the center of the universe. Focus on the one who is the center, the one who is joy itself. And you find that the things of life begin to fall into place when you live for the glory of God. It's why we exist. It's why we're saved. It's all to his praise. It's all to his glory. Let's stand and close. When all is said and done, folks, you know, I I just feel this morning like words are so inadequate. They're so inadequate, but all you can say is praise God. That's that's, That's all you can say. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. You deserve all the glory, Lord. Our heart's desire, our heart's purpose, the meaning of our life is to give you praise, Lord. And we just want to bask in your presence as we worship you and as we praise you and as we speak your truth and your beauty and your love. You are worthy of all of our minds and worthy, Lord, of all of our hearts and worthy of all of our time and worthy of all of our being, Lord. You are worthy, Lord God, to have no other God before you, no other allegiance before you, Lord, draw us unto yourself as people who are wholly devoted to living for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go forward and live to the glory of God. Satellites around the sun. If you want to come forward this morning for prayer for any need whatsoever... And let God glorify himself by healing you or let God glorify himself by bringing you peace or whatever. Let God glorify himself by saving you. Come forward. There will be people up here who would love to pray with you.